Come on, put your hands together to our God. Thank you so much, Josh. Before you, before you may be seated, can you just like a, for a little bit more, just like stand up for a second. We have, we have like, again, we have the privilege of having one of our own boys from the house, right, Pastor? Here preaching tonight. This is Christopher Persauds. If you don't know this handsome guy here, Christopher Persauds, he's one of our youth. Come on, put your hands together for him. And Christopher... Through the uh, amazing decision of our church leadership, our pastor, senior pastor, and also our church board, we have had Christopher as our intern here in our church for these last two months. So for the month of July and August, he's been uh, our intern here in our church. And it's been a uh, privilege, like a wonderful privilege to have you on board and, and seeing how God is using his life. And, and, all, and also tonight we have the privilege of being as part of his internship. He's preaching here to all of us tonight. And I, I want to ask you just please, as you stand, like I want to ask you to do something together with me. I would like to all of us pray for him. Pray that more than uh, simply words that he has prepared and he has prepared hard for this message. I want to ask you to pray that the Holy Spirit, first of all, empower his life and use his life. That each single word that comes out of his mouth won't be simply Chris' words, but the Holy Spirit speaking through his life. And here it is a vessel, a broken vessel like you and me that has been used by God and he will use it tremendously. So can you do me a favor? Can you just like extend your hands right now in his direction? And I know that our senior pastor, he's on vacation, but I'll put you also on the spot, Pastor. Can you come here and can you pray for him? Like extend your hands right now and let's all pray for him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our dear brother, Christopher Persaud. Some of us, Lord, have known him since he was a little boy. We thank you, O oh God, for working in his life, for helping him to come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We thank you, O oh God, for the fact that he is continuing to seek your will for his life, seeking your desire for his journey, O oh Lord. And it is our ongoing prayer that you will further reveal to him what path or paths you want him to take. Thank you, dear Lord, for his family, his precious mother and other family members who are here for the love and the compassion and the wisdom that they have shared with him across the years. Thank you for the great blessing and support of his family and friends here at Rosewood and at Connect Church and other places. And so, Lord, we, uh, we just uh, express gratitude for the wonderful ways in, in which he serves as a volunteer here at Rosewood Church as he leads the worship time with the boys and girls in children's worship, as he leads uh, services here on the platform various Sundays, as he carries out his other ministries on a volunteer basis. Thank you, O oh God for all the wonderful things you've been accomplishing through Christopher. Lord, I thank you for the, the wonderful report from Pastor Arnie Grace 
Randy of the great blessing he was even last week as he, he, he uh, helped lead the, the Connect Church, a wonderful children's program, the day camp. Oh, God, thank you for his work with the day camp children at Connect Church last week, uh, this past week, and uh, his, his wonderful service with the two camps that we had here at Rosewood and all the other things he has done. And now, Lord, may you truly open up, open up his own mind and heart and spirit as he shares this message for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Feel free to be seated, church family. Thanks, man. Good evening, church. I want to start off by uh, just saying a quick thank you to everybody who's here tonight. I'm very excited to give the word tonight. Uh, most of my preaching experience comes from uh, with kids. So this is kind of different. I had the privilege of leading Bible time at the children's camp at our Ajax Connect Church last week. I spent a whole week sleeping in, in Whitby, Ontario with Pastor Jeremy, a few doors down from Pastor Nick, who made an excellent dinner on Monday night, I must say. Um, and it was very interesting to see how things fell into place with learning where Bible time was and literally having an entire week of preaching to children to all building up to this Sunday evening where I get to speak to all these beautiful faces here tonight. I want to say thank you to Pastor Nick and to all the other pastors who are giving me this opportunity. Um, there are not every church out there allows for uh, young kids like me to come up here and to, to preach and to have this opportunity to learn and to grow, and I'm so grateful for Rosewood uh, and all of my pastors who allow that. I want to thank my Connect friends who came and everybody else who came as well. I, all my friends that came in general, whether you're on my worship team, whether you go to another church, uh, I have friends here that are Christian and non-Christian. I just want to say thank you for coming. That's all. I want to get right into the message, and I want to get everybody out of here early. So, <laughs> um, so I was wondering if we could put up the scripture. Is it working? Okay. So my um, sermon tonight is called Sufficiency, uh, and it is about God's sufficiency. We'll learn what that means as we go, don't worry about it. And it's taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. I know that sounds like a lot, but it is okay. We're going to make it through it. We got this. I believe if you go to the next slide, it should be there. So you can turn to it in your Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen. I have my printout here because my young eyes are not so young anymore. <laughs> Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. 
but I refrain, so no one will think more of me than what is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I read that scripture and I felt led to preach on it. It's written by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, of course, because it's in the book of Corinthians. And uh, this is uh, one of his writings that he wrote as a teaching to them. And I read the scripture, and I'm like, what can I really say about this that it doesn't already say for itself? But I will try to attempt. So let's get right into it. My first uh, thing that I want to talk about in terms of this scripture is to stay humble. This is what I believe is one of the first things that we're, uh, Paul expects us to learn. It says, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. So Paul here when he starts off the scripture, he is saying that he had a vision where he was taken up to the third heaven and he saw things that no man is permitted to tell. And he refers to himself in the scripture as a man that he knows or in the third person so that he can emphasize to the Corinthians that he does not want to boast about that. He's expressing that his faith does not lie in these experiences. What he's trying to say is his faith does not lie just alone in what God has revealed in him. His faith does not just lie in the magical, beautiful things that God has done for him, but rather it lies in where God has taken him. It lies in God's strength over his weakness. So what I believe he's trying to get at here is that when we are on the top of our mountains in our lives, when things are great, Right? We're not supposed to say, I love God because I am on a mountain. I love God because my life is great. But what we're supposed to say in turn is, I love my God because look how far down in the valley I was, and look where I am in the mountain now, and I'm getting ready to love him in my next valley, and then I'm going to get ready to love him still in my mountain. And that is what he's trying to show us here. It is not the blessing that God has given to him that shows him how great God is, but it is how far that God has brought him instead. It is not this magical vision where he saw the third heaven and he doesn't know um, whether it was in the body or out of the body. It is what God has done in spite of his own weaknesses. And that is why he says he rejoices in these weaknesses. He does not love God for the magical things that happened to him, but rather what God has done in spite of his weakness. It is not Paul's, by Paul's amazing experiences here that he relies on God, but rather it, it is because God's grace in itself was good enough for Paul in the midst of his suffering. And that's, that's the whole gist of it. If somebody were to ask Paul what makes God so great, he wouldn't have said it is because he saw the third heaven. He would say God's grace is so efficient for him, sufficient for him that his power is reflected in his weakness. So that when we are in those weakest points in our lives, um, like Paul might have been in some parts of his life, God's grace should be reflecting in us. And we shouldn't 
um, when we are on our mountains, we shouldn't be looking to say, oh, look how great God is because I'm on a mountain, but rather, look how great my God is because I was once in a valley, now I'm on my mountain. I was once mourning, but now I am dancing. Look what God has done for me. That is the reflection that God should bring into your life when you come out of those hard times. That is what people around you should see when you, you, know, when you go through those hard times and when it is those things that you have to deal with. When you come out of those things, it should be, look what God has done for me in the past. Um, there's a song that comes to mind that I'm hoping, so if you don't know me, um, I'm a worship leader here at Rosewood. I am the lead of our youth worship team, um, and I'm just one part of that team. But one song I'm hoping to do there, it's called Hindsight. And the reason why I like this song um, is because what it says is, my God isn't finished yet. If he did it before, he'll do it again. And that's that blessed assurance that we have that God's done it before and that is where our faith lies. Our faith lies in what God has done in the past and now that we're on our mountain, we believe in God the same and when we get down to our next valley, we're still gonna believe in God the same way. We're still going to depend on him the same way that we did before. We're still going to rely on him. We're still going to love him in the same way when we are on the top of those mountains and when we are down in those valleys. Sometimes in life we might get caught up uh, in the same thing. God has privileged us and he has blessed us and he's used us for extraordinary things and suddenly this is where our faith lies. Our faith lies in the special presence God has given to us. When we are deprived of these things, we begin to doubt. So the way you should be thinking is not, I love God because look how great it, everything is like I already said, but you should be in a place where when you get to your mountain, if that mountain was swept up from under your feet, your dependence on God would still remain the same. And that is the most important thing, is that it is not the mountain that uh, makes you believe in God, but it is where you have been. It is what God does in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your valleys, that makes all of the difference. How am I doing for time? Not too bad. Let's go on to point number two. <laughs> <laughs> the second part I want to talk about, I've just titled it, Your Thorn. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Paul says that in order for him to stay humble, God gave him a thorn in his flesh. And this is not a literal, a literal thorn, not that he was running in the rose garden when his mom told him he shouldn't be, and now there's something stuck in there. <laughs> um, but we can see this as a trial in Paul's life. And he does not give much detail, but he describes it as a messenger of Satan sent to torment him. And whether that means he suffered from an addiction, or he was physically ill, or mentally ill, or he literally had a demon in his bedroom tormenting, God told him that his grace was enough. And Sometimes when we get to those places where God has to allow a thorn, the key word there is allow those thorns into our life, he wants us to remember that his grace is enough despite that thorn. In spite of your thorn, your God is still enough. 
No matter what it is that you are going through, your God is still enough. I personally believe that it is very important that Paul did not tell us what his thorn was. I think it's very important that he didn't uh, make it very clear as to what exactly it was that he battled with because it does not matter. Because no matter what that thorn was, God is still enough. No matter what you are going through, your God is still sufficient for you. Your God should still be enough for you no matter what it is that you are going through. No matter what your thorn is, your God is still enough for you. To know that one day life will change and his suffering will be over and he will be in heaven with God and his, thro and his thorn will be removed and he will be rewarded for staying faithful in spite of his thorn is enough. So when he says your grace is sufficient for me, what is God's grace really? Well, to, grace is to know that, in, that one day we will be in heaven with God and one day our suffering will be over and that should be enough for us. Whether Paul's thorn was removed on earth or it was removed when he got into heaven should always be enough because we know no matter how the story ends, with that thorn, it will be gone one day. Addiction will be gone one day. Suffering will be gone one day. Mourning will be gone one day. It does not matter what that thorn is, but it's going to be gone one day. And to know that one day we are going to be in heaven with God and that thorn will be removed should always be sufficient for us. To know that God is still good is, should always be sufficient enough. It should always be enough for us to know that God is still there. God has, God has allowed this thorn. God is in control of this thorn. And he will never leave you or forsake you. And you will be relieved of this thorn, whether that be on earth or in heaven. It is important that Paul did not give us details because he's trying to exp uh, express that no matter what thorn God has allowed on anyone, God's grace should always be sufficient for them. And you could draw comparisons to the story of Job. See, Job uh, was a man who was very evidently allowed a thorn by God. And that's very biblical because we see uh, an interaction between God and Satan where Satan asks permission to give, uh, well, God actually kind of gives Satan the idea in, in, in a certain sense. But Satan has to come and ask God for this permission to give Job this jo job. Job? <laughs> to give Job this thorn in his life so that he can be tested. And let me tell you, your God might not tempt you, but he does test you. Your God does not tempt you, but he does test you. And we see that very clearly in the story of Job, where God, where, where God was boasting, in a sense, boasting about um, about Job to Satan, and he was saying, um, you know, Job is so great. He's my faithful servant. He's, he, he always relies on me. He always trusts in me. And Satan says, well, he only does that because of all the blessings you give him, him. He only does that because of the hedge of protection that you have boxed him into. But then God turns around and says, then take it away, and let's see if my grace is enough for him. And let me tell you, if God did that to Job, he might be doing it to you right now. If you feel like you're going through a time where God's not giving you enough, he might be trying to show you that he is always enough, that it does not matter what you are given and what uh, he has taken from you, that his grace is always enough for you, that he is always sufficient for you, and that it does not matter, again, what that thorn is. It does not matter what Job lost. It doesn't matter. 
But God's grace is enough because one day that thorn will be over. And for Job, that thorn was removed on earth where he got back all of those things. But even if that's not the case, even if your thorn does not get removed on earth, the Bible says that no matter what we face here on earth, it does not compare to the glory of God that we face in heaven. It does not compare to the relief from that suffering that you will get when you get to heaven, that you will receive when you are in heaven. Nothing compares to God's grace. There is nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You are living hope. That's what that song is talking about. It's saying that nothing compares to God's grace. Nothing else, there's nothing else that we should attempt to be dependent on either. There is nothing else that we should try and use to remove that thorn. Some of us in this room have thorns and we're trying to remove it with something that isn't God. Some of us have thorns and we're trying to remove it with uh, the person we're in a relationship with. And I know that's hard to hear from a 17-year-old boy. (laughs) But some of us are trying to remove that thorn with the wrong thing. Some of us might be trying to remove that thorn with a bottle of alcohol. Some of you might be trying to remove that thorn with the people around you. Some of you might be trying to remove that that thorn with what you are watching on TV or what you are filling into your brain. But let me tell you, God is the only thing and he is the only one that will remove that thorn because he is the one who has allowed that thorn in you and that should be enough for you to know that he is the one that is in control of your thorn. He is the one that decides when that thorn comes out. He is the one that has put that thorn in you so that you may grow, so that you may learn, so that when the time is right, that thorn will be removed on earth or in heaven. Let's keep going. The last thing I want to talk about, I know I'm going fast, is strength. See, Paul says that he will only boast about his weakness so that God's power may rest on him. And Paul is not saying that he goes around telling people that he is happy about his thorn. He is not suggesting that we should rejoice when we learn that like, one of our friends is ill or anything like that. He is saying that it is in the hardest times in his life that God's goodness is reflected in him. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is in the weakest parts of your life that you see God's power. It is in that valley that you look to your side and realize God is standing right next to you. And when you fall to your knees and when you say that prayer, God, just save me. Lord, have mercy on me. And he picks you up and he carries you to the top of the next mountain until you are led into the next valley. It is in those moments that we learn how strong our God can really be. It is for when we are weak that we realize how strong our God is and how strong our God can be when we allow him to work through us. Paul is saying that his weakest moment is God's strongest in him. He is saying that we need to learn to say, I am glad that it happened. You need to look back and say, I am glad that I faced that thorn because if I did not face that thorn, I would not know how strong my God is. I would not know how powerful he is and how able he is to carry me to the top of the mountains that I think are too high, but with him that nothing, no mountain is high enough. No mountain is high enough for our God. No mountain is too high. And it is in those moments that we learn what God can really do in our life, in those weakest moments. So I'm telling you, God might be allowing you to get into a weak place so that you can learn how strong he really 
is. You might be in a weak place right now, but God is just waiting on you to fall on your knees and pray to him and say all to Jesus I surrender so that he can pick you up and carry you up to your mountain and so that he can carry you there. And let me tell you, the faster you do it, the easier it might be. Sometimes we think that, uh, that we need to get to the top of that mountain ourselves. But if it is God that took you into that valley, it is God that is going to take you out. Just like I said, if it is God that gave you the thorn, it is God that will be the one to remove it out. And there is no other tool that you can use to climb those mountains except God's strength alone. So if you are in your weakest moment right now, you should just be waiting on God. You should keep praying. I'm telling you, he'll do it in his own time. Like I said, he'll do it on earth or he'll do it in heaven. But for when you are weak, then you are strong. My cousin, Andrew, who passed away not too long, used to love to sing a song. And I sang it uh, at his viewing at the funeral home. And my favorite line in that song says, if I never had a problem... I'd never know God could solve them, and I'd never know what faith could do. And that's the, that, that lyric, that song lyric, I know I'm a worship leader, so when I read scripture I, and I find out where those lyrics came from, it gets really exciting for me. If I never had a problem, I'd never know God could solve them. If you never got down to that valley, you'd never be able to appreciate that mountain. You'd never be able to appreciate the God that brought you up to that mountain. Sometimes God needs you to learn to depend on him all the way from the deepest valley of that mountain all the, way at that, all the way to the top. He wants you to learn how to depend on him for the next valley, for the next mountain, for the next valley, for the next mountain, and so on and so on. If someone were to go through a hard time where God gave them everything just like Job and it was ripped away from them in a heartbeat, they should still know that God is enough.